Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash my story. Also, if you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. Um, well, we want to say happy Mother's Day to everyone. And as Kyle just said, that um, we do acknowledge that this day is tough for some people. And I just want you to know that God sees and knows you, that he says in his word that he is close to the brokenhearted. And so take comfort and take hold of that promise today that he is near you and he's there to comfort you. Um, I'm humbled to speak up here because I truly believe that my husband is just an awesome communicator. So to be able to do this in his footsteps, um, I get a big appreciation for what he does multiple times a month. I do it once a year and it consumes me. And so (laughs) I'm just amazed. Oh, thank you, Rosemary. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, a little bit about me. Um, Before I started dating Kyle and uh, we got married, I told one of my friends who still brings it up today that I would never want to marry a pastor. I never wanted to leave Wisconsin. I didn't want to leave my family. Um, And so God just has a funny way of pushing us in the direction that he has for our lives, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, Another funny thing is that 10 years ago, I would have said I'd never be up here doing this. And so uh, God just has amazing and different plans than we could ever plan for ourselves. Um, I'm the mother of two, Riley and Maddox. Riley is six and Maddox is four. Um, They are truly my greatest joy, but they are also God's best way of refining and purifying my own life. Brings a whole lot of stuff up to the surface (laughs) through them. Um, Even though today I speak from a woman's perspective and from a mother's perspective, I truly believe that the Lord has something to say to each and every person here. Um, I'm going to talk about Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind and um, really focus on Eve's story. But I believe that the Lord has spoken so much to me through this passage, and he has something for every person in here. Would you just pray with me as we dive into this this morning? God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth, that we can stand on your word and that it doesn't move, Lord. We thank you that it's not just my words of encouragement as a mother, but that it is your words that reaches down and it changes the very depths of our heart, Lord. So I pray that today, that our hearts would be open, that our eyes would be opened, and that you'd challenge and change us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the story of Eve, I think a lot of times we can get frustrated with the decision that she made in that moment, that it was a decision that changed all of humanity. But the truth is that we deal with the same issues and the same lies on a daily basis. Her story reveals to us how the enemy comes in seemingly subtle ways, and he begins to weave lies. And these lies, when they take root in our life, when they took root in Eve's heart, there's major implications for her and for us. The best part about this story, though, is on the other side of it, that we get to see God and his unending love, his unending grace, and his desire for a relationship with us. This is truly the story of hope. It's the beginning of our redemption story. And for Eve, 
we get to see the true legacy that she left for us. Not that she made some big mistake, but we get to see how God restored her after that mistake. So in the beginning, God created a perfect world. It was perfect harmony of all nature, of uh, all people. There was no fear or pain or death. Perfect union. Adam and Eve literally walked with God, and they talked with him, and they communed with him. I can't imagine how it would have been to have kids during this time. I don't know about you, but one moment I'm like bursting with pride over the achievements of my children. Um, This week, Maddox, he learned to ride his bike, and I was just amazed and surprised, and he caught on quickly. Um, But just like any of you know, with children, in one moment you can be bursting with pride, and then like the next hour you can be just frustrated and amazed at the things that they do. So one minute I'm proud of him. He's so amazing getting after his bike. And then literally it was either later that day or the next day. Um, I'm just embarrassed and frustrated because he's in the backyard um, with indecent exposure. So uh, I don't know what it is about the fall of humanity that makes little boys think this is so funny. But that's not his first time. Um, uh, So Eve was never a mother in this perfect world either. She became a mother only after she and Adam fell. I can't imagine, um, does anyone relate to mom guilt in here? I think that this is literally the origin of mom guilt. Um, If you can imagine knowing a perfect world and then knowing what you did to cause all of us, all of her children, to fall in the world that they lived in because of what she did. I think it's amazing that she continued on after this. I mean, how many times do we feel paralyzed and feel um, like we can't move forward, like we can't be a good parent or friend or whatever because of our shortcomings, because of the ways that we mess up? But here we see in her story that she is able to move forward. That has nothing to do with her um, just gaining the strength inside of herself, but that it is a heavenly father who comes and he restores her in a powerful way. My heart today is that our eyes would be open to the schemes of the enemy, that we'll all see that he's looking to deceive us and cause destruction in our hearts and in our children's hearts. The Bible says that the enemy is the father of all lies, that when he speaks, lying is his native tongue. So we have to be on guard and aware of these lies that come and try to destroy our lives. So we get to examine Adam and Eve's life, and we can be more aware of how he operates and how these lies tend to sneak in. Um, But the best part is at the end is God's restoration. So let's dive in. Um, Here we find Eve in the garden. She's about to engage in a conversation that maybe she shouldn't even have been entertaining in the first place. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? just want to pause just for one second and say that anything that starts in your heart or your head with, Did God really, really say should be called into question. Verse 2 says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, 
your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Another question that comes to mind for me here is, why did she not question that information? She simply believed the lie without even considering that maybe it was the serpent who was not telling the truth. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first thing we see here is that Eve didn't just wander up to the tree one day, a tree that had been there the whole time, and eat of the fruit. That there is this very real enemy who is out to destroy us, and that he came in with a seemingly harmless conversation, and he starts to weave a lie and catch Eve's attention. Her gaze moves from God and his word and all that he'd already given to them, and she sets her attention on this tree and its fruit. And as her attention shifts, the enemy goes on to plant doubt and suspicion in her heart of God. He says that God's holding out on them. He contradicted God's word by saying, you won't die. You'll just gain a knowledge and a wisdom apart from keeping God's command. By verse 6, she's given place to this lie, and she gives her attention to the very object that the enemy is dangling in front of her. And her desire starts to shift in its direction. What happens here is that in her heart, she dethrones God as the one authority in her life. She doubts his goodness. She doubts his word, what's already been given to her. And a desire is born in her for this food and for gaining a wisdom that would make her like God. And then this desire is what gives birth to the first sin. We need to be aware that the enemy is still at work today. He sows these lies and these doubts in our lives. And so what we first learn from Eve here is to ask ourselves, whose voice are you listening to? As we lead and love our kids and our family and our friends around us, we have to constantly look at our heart and see what we're building our lives on. If we don't make a determined choice to follow God, then more than likely we're just going to fall into the traps of the enemy. So I don't know what the enemy's saying to you today. Maybe he's making you doubt yourself as a mom, as a dad. Maybe you're a teenager and he's constantly bombarding you with these lies that you're missing out on something, that your friends are having so much more fun than you, that God's holding out on you. Maybe the words, you don't measure up, you're not enough, you aren't half the person they are, you aren't half the woman she is, Maybe you're a college student in here and the enemy is sowing seeds of doubt as to what God has called you to do. We have a choice to listen to the lies that he pitches us. See, the enemy's plan is he plants a seed, but we tend to water that as we give place to it and room for it to grow in our lives. One of the ways that we can sort through these lies and kind of put it through a filter of, is this God? Is this the enemy? Is Philippians 4, 8 tells us to think on things that are true and noble, pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. We have to daily get alone with God and seek his word. We need his word to come combat the enemy because 
That is the only thing that breaks lies down. The truth sets us free. As a mom, if I'm not starting my day with a surrendered heart to God and seeking his heart for my family and my husband and my kids, I always fall into more traps of the enemy during the day. We desperately need him on a daily basis. Another way to determine if it's our enemy's voice is to remember that Satan's plan of attack is to always make you question God's word. If he can make you think that God's holding out on you, if he can make you think that God is not good, it's a clear indication that you need to analyze that thought or description of what you're missing out on. Because we've all experienced it, is that when we buy the lie and we walk down the path that he's trying to get us to go down, it doesn't end how he says where it's going to end. He tells Adam and Eve they're going to be like God and they're going to have this knowledge like God. Well, that's not what happens. Immediately their eyes are open and they feel shame and they hide because we're not meant to be God. We were meant to enjoy God and love God and be in relationship with God, but we were not created to be God. So as soon as we try to take our own life into our hands, we experience the brokenness of sin. So whose, life, whose voice are you listening to today? Secondly, we learn from Eve to be aware of what has your attention. If Eve's first mistake was listening to a voice that wasn't God's to give her instruction on life, her second mistake was locking her attention on something that God had not given to her. In verse 6, she starts to rationalize her desire for something other than God's way. And I think we do this a lot, too, every day. 1 John 2.16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. What has the enemy put in your life that is fighting for your attention? Maybe you so desire to be married and to be in a relationship that it literally consumes you and makes you resentful towards God that he hasn't given it to you yet. Maybe your eyes have shifted to some other person or somebody else's spouse that compared to yours looks like Superman or Superwoman. Maybe your eyes are set on a job or finances, a house, a lifestyle that is not yours and it literally consumes you. I just want you to know that you're not alone in this. This has been Satan's attack from the very beginning. When your attention is fixed on an unholy desire, then rebellion against God grows. Because sin isn't simply a matter of behavior, it's a matter of desire. So how do we get free from something that is consuming our thoughts? We have to set our attention on God and his way. And we have to take every one of these thoughts captive, like the Bible tells us. We have to evaluate our desires. But it doesn't stop there. We have to ask God to evaluate our own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So while there's some value in evaluating your own heart, we have to go to God and ask him to search our hearts. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, 
and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So we learn from Eve to be aware of the voices that we're listening to and to pay attention to what has our attention. These are critical things to help us avoid the schemes of the enemy. But like I said, my favorite part of this story is what happens next. Because although we can be careful to avoid the lies and the schemes of the enemy, um, next we see what changes everything. And it's God's grace that he extends to humanity, to Eve and Adam, when dealing with arguably the worst moment in human history because it was the sin that led to every other sin. He comes in with grace and mercy. We see a new legacy here that's birthed in Eve, that she leaves us hope. She chooses hope. It was nothing she did in and of herself. She just chose to accept the mercy and grace of God and his desire and path for her. In verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? I love that God doesn't abandon them in their sin. He searches them out and he calls them out of hiding. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid I w- because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. So I love how blame is a part of the original sin, not just our kids trying to blame each other. (laughs) So then the Lord God said to the woman, why is, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. This is where hope comes in. God immediately goes and plants hope in the middle of this awful situation when he foretells of Jesus right here. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Verse 16 to 20 goes on to explain the consequences of sin that come upon man and woman. And sometimes the enemy wants to make us think, how God is so cruel. Why would, why would that be what happens because of sin? But he is a just and holy God, and these are the consequences that come from trying to take life into our own hands. The most amazing part, though, as I read through this, is that the Bible says that Jesus was there in the beginning. He was there when the earth was created. He was there when man fell, and all these consequences were being spoken of what we would have to live with. And Jesus was going to take every one of these things and carry it to the cross. He was going to feel this. The very consequences to our sin— It was not just for us, but he was going to have to take it, and he was going to have to hold it and feel it. This affected God just as much as it affects us. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and, and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See, God's perfect plan and order of creation had been broken when sin came into the world. But God is so good. In the midst of consequences, in the midst of the curse of sin coming into the world, he gives hope. He uses Eve, who took the first step in breaking all of his perfect creation, and he offers to her part of redemption's story. He says through her, Jesus would be born. Through her, the world would be saved, even though through her the world was broken, but he offers her a new desire, a new path, a new life. From her offspring would be the one to crush Satan forever. We also see the foreshadowing of Jesus and his sacrifice in that God took an animal and he clothed them and covered their, their sinfulness and their nakedness. That the, the clothes that they made for themselves wasn't good, wasn't good enough, it wouldn't last. And so God came and he clothed them. And also in another act of mercy, it might seem, well, why couldn't they eat from the tree of life? Why didn't he leave them in the garden? It was another act of mercy to take them out because if they were to eat of the tree of life, they'd live forever in a state of sinfulness and brokenness and death. God's redemption story continues today with you and I. We can choose to live Eve's legacy of hope. See, Eve moves on in life, not because of anything that she did in and of herself, but because she chooses to live in hope and the promise that God had given her. So unlike her actions earlier in the chapter, she sees the destruction that acting on a lie can bring, and so she chooses God's word as her foundation and her living hope. Her purpose, so hope, purpose, forgiveness, they all came from God, but we need to choose to accept it and to live in it. Because he seeks you out at the end of your day when you feel like you've totally blown it. He seeks you out in your shame. He comes to you when you're hiding. Maybe you're hiding behind your kids or your spouse or your job. He seeks you out. The enemy wants you to believe that he's mad at you, that you can't, he can't redeem you or the choices that you've made. He wants you to hide. He knows that if you stay hidden in shame, you'll be paralyzed. But God, he's not afraid of your sin. He can heal that he can heal your pain because Jesus took every sin, every shortcoming, every lost temper, and he took it to the cross and he said, It's finished, it's done. If the enemy can get you to live a life of shame that causes you to hide from God, you'll live in constant bondage. Eve had to make a decision for the rest of her life to cling to the new desire God had given her. So what promise do you need to cling to today? Maybe you need God to give you a new desire, to give you a new heart. He is faithful to give you all of that if you ask, if you pray and seek with your whole heart. He's sought you out and he's waiting for you. He's given you an irreplaceable role to play in your children's lives. You're commissioned not to be the perfect mom, not to be the perfect dad, not to be the perfect employee. You're commissioned to be God's representative that even though we fall, we constantly point to him. 
It's so important for us as mothers, whether it's biological or spiritual children, to make the authority of God's word central in our lives, that we may lift Christ high and instruct our children who will do the same and change the world. We're here to reveal the heart of the Father to our children, to the next generation. This is the legacy that will last for generations to come, just like Eve's. So run your race with your eyes set on Jesus. Take the attention off of your neighbor, off of your friend, off of somebody that seems like they have it all together, that they know all the answers or they hit every decision out of the park. One thing I say to myself is, I learned this from a study I was doing recently, and she said, whenever my eyes drift to somebody else who seems like they have it all together, you have to remind yourself, that is not my story, and it's not my calling. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, it says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. And this next line runs through my head, quite frequently, as I think of just the voices around us, our media, our entertainment, um, just even friends' voices that can constantly be bombarding us. It says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. This week I read something that... um, Christine Kane had put out, and she said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You see, when Eve and Adam ate, there was a death that came. It was a spiritual death. And so Jesus came not to fix our actions, but he came to make us alive in him again. So if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're covered. You no longer need to live in shame. You can take hold of God's specific calling for your life, for your family, for your future. You have your own story to live out, so choose to stand on his word. Stand on his grace and his sacrifice because all other words, the lies of the enemy, they're just noise and they're shifting sand. You can't build anything on it. This next song came to my heart and came to my mind as I thought about in Genesis chapter 2 where it talks about when God created us. He literally created us out of dust and he breathed life into Adam. And so maybe you're, you're sitting here and today this song talks about he takes all these broken pieces and he makes something new. He makes us a new creation. That this God who created a human being out of dust, how much more can he do with our broken lives if we just give it to him? He takes all of our broken pieces and he makes you enough. He paid it all. He extended this grace and this story to Eve and he extends it to every single one of us today. We can continue in hope. We can parent in hope. We can live in hope because it's not our own righteousness that makes us good enough.
Let me pray with you today. God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your story, that our sin didn't catch you off guard with nothing to do with it, Lord, but that you came with a redemptive story right away, Lord, that you took us in our brokenness and you offer that same thing to to us today to be part of your redemption story to our kids, to our family, to our friends, people that are walking around dead, Lord. Help us to see that you have birthed new life in us, that we're not good enough in and of ourselves, Lord, but in you, you make us new. You are creator God. You do the impossible, Lord. So do that today. Encourage hearts. Speak life into hearts today. And let us see that we are loved and restored in you. In Jesus' name.